are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me is always my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Typically, this would be matchup Wednesday, but now that we're phasing out of the season into off-season activities, going to switch up the schedule a little bit, moving our mailbag segment from Monday to Wednesday, as we have typically done in each off-season since we've been hosting Locked on Seahawks. And we're going to be taking a look at parallels between the 2021 Seahawks and the 2011 Seahawks, two of the three teams that didn't make the playoffs in the 12 years that Pete Carroll has been at the helm. Looking forward to a little bit of discussion and a little bit of debate. Glad to have you listening in, as always, with your first listen five days a week to the Locked on Seahawks podcast. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. Pete Carroll has been in Seattle since 2010, 12 seasons on the sidelines, and his teams have only missed the postseason three times, 2011, 2017, and unfortunately 2021. Won't be playing in any of the playoff games this upcoming weekend. Pete Carroll was talking to reporters on Monday, and in his postseason press conference, the last press conference of the year, there's always little nuggets that are interesting to comb through. But this year in particular, coming off a very disappointing season, there were some somewhat, I guess you could say, controversial remarks that Carroll made about how the Seahawks have handled drafts and how they've handled free agency, things of that nature. And we'll have a chance to dive into some of those topics as we get deeper into the offseason. But there was one particular remark that stood out to me, and that was a comment from Pete Carroll that actually compared the 2021 Seahawks to the 2011 Seahawks we're going to dive into those stats here in a moment and compare and contrast those two teams. But first, let's take a listen to what Pete Carroll had to say. We were able to to, to see the team that we can we can become, and uh, uh, over the course of this year, and and uh, we didn't get other things done, but we did we did see that, and um, we, I, I told them today, like I, I remember telling. Uh, Cam and Sherm and those guys when they were in here years ago that this is in this room right now is the nucleus of a championship team that we'll add to and, and, and you know we'll we'll bring in and in support but the guys in this room are the guys that are going to make this happen and and uh, that's 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 what it feels like and we should be excited about it we should be you know I am I'm excited about the chances of coming back and playing cleaner sharper uh, more physical football than than we did this year more consistently and uh, with you know attending attending to the the issues that we had, we should clean those things up and we should be really good. We have a very challenging uh, division and uh, we're going to have to be really good, you know. And like I've said before, if you make it through this division, you should have a chance to win the whole thing. And so uh, um, that's what we're aiming at. I'm just going to throw these stats out here and then I'm going to turn it over to you. We'll start discussing this comparison that Coach Carroll made. But the 2011 Seahawks, they were 7-9, and nine, same record as Pete Carroll's first year. But the NFC West was good enough. They didn't win the division this time around identical record. They lost six of their first eight games. Then they rattled off five wins in their final eight games. So they finished the second half strong, much like this year's team. They were 23rd in offense. This year's team was 16th. The Seahawks were seventh in defense in 2011. They had Richard Sherman, KJ Wright, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor. Those guys were in their first or second season in the league. So they had some really intriguing young pieces, but still that was a young raw defense. They finished seventh though. 
This year's Seahawks team on defense finished 11th. I feel like that's a little bit misleading because there were a few games where they were put in really tough spots, including that season finale where the Cardinals scored a bunch of points off of turnovers. Nonetheless, their defense was in the upper half of the league for points allowed. So from that standpoint, you do see some parallels, but I think you would probably agree with me that there are some significant differences between where that 2011 team was and where this 2021 team was that unfortunately did not come close to meeting expectations. Yeah, I think that there are certainly plenty of, of differences between the two squads. I and mean, then you just look at the quarterback talent just to start off. I mean, you know, in the Seattle in that season was, uh, you know, led by Tavares Jackson. Charlie Whitehurst, clipboard Jesus. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, Tavares Jackson led the Seahawks and, and starts that season. Charlie Whitehurst uh, also had a couple of snaps. So in the, in that see in in that way, it is kind of comparable. Uh, to what you saw this this past year, where Seattle starter goes down with an injury, you have the backup be able to come in. You had a young, dynamic running back who was starting to show what he could do with Marshawn Lynch back then. Just like you have a young, dynamic running back able to show what he could do here at the at the end of the season. Uh, of course, with Rashad Penny, you had all kinds of exciting young talent on the defensive side of the football just starting to kind of blossom. Uh, I would argue that you're seeing some of that happen right now here with Jordan Brooks, with, with Daryl Taylor, with the two cornerbacks and DJ Reed and, and Sidney Jones. You know, there are some parallels here, but of course, there are also some huge differences here. That, that 2011 team, it, it, because, because I don't want us to get too far into, you know, just revisionist history and saying, oh, it was so good back then. That 2011 team, as you mentioned, Corbin, they won five of their last eight games. They also lost their last two. They didn't finish nearly as hot as Seattle did this past season. So, you know, when we're talking about some of the differences, they're not all negative. Some of the some of the most encouraging things is how Seattle finished the season going up against a divisional opponent, a team in the Arizona Cardinals that looked like they were very much on track to be the divisional champion. They were the last team in the NFL, after all, to be undefeated. And, uh, you know, had Seattle not uh, stolen that victory uh, in Glendale, then, uh, you know, Arizona Cardinals would have been having the, the number one seed in the NFC West. Yeah, I look at these two teams, and I think when you consider the fact that the Seahawks were being viewed by many as Super Bowl contenders going into this season, they were coming off a 12-win season with most of their core players coming back. You didn't have that same thing in 2011. I think John Schneider had like 600 transactions in his first two years, just constant roster shuffling, trying to build a perennial contender, and obviously that worked out for him, but this was a team that had a lot of players from the playoff team in 2010, including Matt Hasselbeck, among a bunch of others, that were let go. They wanted to start over, and so tons of roster turnover. They didn't have a franchise quarterback. They had Tavares Jackson just being a, a keep holder there for the quarterback position. Russell Wilson eventually arrived and took that spot. It's been the quarterback ever since. That defense had some really good young players, but they also had a bunch of replaceable veterans that they moved on from, and we saw them continue to restack that defense. This year's defense, you had a couple perennial all-pros. You had a pro bowler in Quandre Diggs. You had some really good players up front. This was a loaded defense with a lot of talent, a much different situation. I think from that perspective, those perspectives, that 
Carroll's comparison doesn't really hold water. But I do think when you look at the youth movement that took place late this season when Seattle won four of their last six games, you mentioned Brooks, Daryl Taylor, Reed, Sidney Jones playing well. The backup safeties coming in and getting the job done this last game. Offensive line, Jake Curhan starting the last five games and getting better each week. Phil Haynes starting at both guard spots the last two games and just flat out mauling opponents in the run game. Did really well in pass protection as well. Rashad Penny with 350 plus rushing yards in the last two games alone. I mean, there's a lot of really promising developments there with young players on this roster. Even Freddie Swain, he averaged 30 yards per reception those last two games behind DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. So you have a lot of young players that are in their rookie season or their second season, the case of Rashad Penny, fourth year, but he hadn't played much because of injuries. You have a lot of guys that hadn't had a chance to prove themselves that were key contributors in winning four of those last six games. And you would think all of those players are going to be back in your roster. DJ Reed and Sidney Jones, I got to resign. But you would think most of these players are going to be on your roster next season. So from that standpoint, you'd think it's a little bit weird wanting a bunch of continuity when you went seven and 10, but when you consider Wilson missed time, it wasn't healthy when he came back for several games, they had other injuries they had to deal with. And he had a lot of young players getting forced in the lineup. That is a positive. And I think that is a very clear comparison that does show parallels to 2011. So while there's some comparisons here that are a little off base, when you're looking at these two teams next to each other, I don't think that it's completely off base and You can see why Pete Carroll believes that there is the nucleus here. If they can re-sign some of their free agents, like your DJ Reed, your Rashad Pennies, Quandre Diggs, they can bring back some of those key players, have a healthy Russell Wilson and Jamal Adams. And some of those young players that played a lot, the end of the season, take a big step forward, like your Jake Kerhans, that this team can get right back in the mix and be very competitive in the NFC West. And if everything goes right, They could be back winning double-digit games and be a threat, not just in the division, but in the conference pursuing a Super Bowl title. So I don't think his optimism is completely unwarranted. I don't think the comparison to that 2011 season, while they're not identical, I do see that there are some clear parallels where he would make that connection. Yeah, absolutely. As you said, clearly the the comparisons are not identical. You know, I mean, those out there who who want to just look and see if the you know statistically, um, if every position is the same, if they are where they the teams ranked in terms of offense and defense and special teams, all those types of things, if they were exactly the same, obviously that is not the case. This is a very different team here in, in 2022 than it was back in 2011. But at the same time, I think that the one thing that the head coach who has won a national championship at the college football level, obviously won a Super Bowl at the NFL level. The one thing you have to kind of trust, Corbin, at least in my opinion, is is his ability to assess the talent on his own team, his ability to assess the hunger of those players on his own team. And to me, that's one of the most exciting things about it. You can almost feel the energy. I mean, the way that Seattle wrapped up their season, obviously their season ended prematurely. Everybody in Seattle is a Seahawks fan and across the world that wants the Seahawks to be playing in the postseason. Well, we we all know that that, that's ended in a disappointing way. But at the same time, this is a team on the rise. And that, I think, is the biggest reason why Pete Carroll is drawing that parallel between this current version of the Seahawks and the one from before. He could see 
that that third place team in the NFC West division was going to get an easier schedule and was going to bounce right back up and really surprise some people. I think there's a lot of reason to suggest why this Seahawks team that finished, of course, again, fourth, last in the NFC West division, but is primed for a big bounce back next year. I think that's the parallel that he is trying to draw right here. We're going to get to our mailbag here in a second. Normally been doing it on Mondays during the season. In the offseason, we switch it to Wednesday. Looking forward to answering your questions. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. If you want to eat healthy, sometimes it gets boring this time of year. By like week three, you might be thinking this just is not worth it. Where's the chocolate? But you don't have to worry about that with Built Bars. They're covered in 100% real chocolate and have just 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. Here's an idea for the new year. Go to all your secret treat stashes at home, in the pantry, at the office, in the car, wherever, and throw out all the sugary, calorie-filled treats to replace them with Built Bars. So when you're craving a snack or treat, you can reach for something that's healthy and tastes incredible. So many delicious flavors to choose from. Peanut butter brownie, raspberry, cookies and cream, salted caramel, and many more. In fact, Built is always coming out with new limited time flavors. So check out built.com often to see what's new. Go to built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. Use the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Wednesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Shifting gears to our off-season schedule, our mailbag now moving to Wednesdays. Let's get to it, Rob. First question coming from Andy Bryan tweets, do you have any confidence that the Seahawks will learn from this year and decide to utilize Jamal Adams properly next season? What is their plan for the Preds? Well, that's the thing. I don't, I don't know necessarily have their plan for Jamal Adams, but at the same time, I think that um, – that you just saw at the end of uh, Jamal Adams' season, the way that Seattle was reverting back to the way that they were playing him before, lining up a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage, um, being able to complement him with uh, improving pass rush. I think that there was a lot of concern earlier, Corbin, that uh, you know Jamal Adams had basically shown what he could do. And the Seahawks basically were, were fairly predictable. You the Number 33 starts to creep towards the line of scrimmage. Savvy quarterbacks, the kind of quarterbacks you're going to face when you are playing a first-place schedule, they're going to be able to identify where he is and be able to try to victimize him. And, and so I do think that there is a much more likely scenario in which Seattle is going to uh, be able to kind of allow Adams to, to blitz well. Let's allow him to drop back. He was pretty effective in coverage. I know that's that's kind of, you know, nobody wants to talk about that, that he actually played pretty well in coverage this past season, but he was. And then just as importantly, again, I think that that pass rush around him, I think is better uh, than a year ago. So to me, this is kind of a multifaceted question here. I think that really the Seahawks are in a much better position. And oh, by the way, I think that Jamal Adams or Prez, as our, our listener, Andy Bryan, thank you for your question, mentioned Prez. I think Prez has to recognize that a hey, Congress all around him kind of stepped up 
well, in, in his absence. And so he had better be that much more in tune with what the Seahawks as a whole team are doing. This is not the Jamal Adams show. This is the Seattle Seahawks defense, and they played pretty darn well when Jamal Adams was out. So, again, I just think that there's going to be a little bit more familiarity and more likely to be a, that much more success with Jamal Adams and the Seahawks as a whole on the defensive side of the football in 2022. Next question here coming from Ron, uh, Ron King tweets, supposing Russell Wilson comes back, what players from the core are likely to return next season? I think at this point, again, we're a couple days into the offseason – there are a lot of moving parts here, a lot of things that can change. There still are some murmurs out there today about the futures of Pete Carroll and John Schneider. I expect that they are both going to be back. I expect that Russell Wilson's going to be back. I think most of your core pieces are going to be back, even some of the free agents. I think they are going to prioritize Quandre Diggs based on what Pete Carroll said on Monday. It seems to me like that is going to be a priority for them to get their all-pro, potential all-pro free safety back in 2022. I expect they're going to bring back a number of those other key free agents as well. Really the only core player that I think there's a chance might not be back. And I mentioned this last week. I mentioned it earlier this week, Bobby Wagner, because of his cap hit north of $20 million, obviously a fantastic player, future hall of famer. I think he's a first ballot hall of famer still made the pro bowl this year was leading the league in tackles before he banged up his knee the last two games. And then Jordan Brooks ended up passing him. So he had another phenomenal season, but he just, he doesn't move as well in space. He's going to be going into his 11th season. He's going to be 32 years old. I just don't think that he is worth anything close to what that, that salary cap hit is going to be next year. I don't think he's worth 20 plus million dollars. I don't know that any linebacker in the league in today's NFL is worth that price. If anybody is Bobby Wagner certainly earned that money, but Unless the two sides can reach an agreement on a restructure, maybe they extend him a year to try to lower that cap hit. I find it hard to believe the Seahawks are going to just carry a 20 plus million dollar cap hit with number 54 next year. He is the one core piece, especially with how Cody Barton played the last two games, that I think there is a chance that we may have seen him play his last game in the Seahawks uniform. If he's willing to do a restructure, I think the team would love to have him back. He'd like to finish his career here. But with his contract as it stands, that's the one I think that's going to be a sticky dilemma for the Seahawks front office to try to make a decision on here this offseason. Pete's Air Monarchs tweets, hey, we're getting questions from Shoes now, Rob. Do you think Rasheem Green should be one of our priority resigns this offseason? He had a productive year and is only 24 years old. That's the thing is he's 24 years old. Uh, you know, I mean, one of the guys who was the most physically dominant players in uh, the Monday night national championship game between uh, the champs, the Georgia Bulldogs and Alabama Crimson Tide was Jordan Davis defensive tackle. He's 22. Um, you know, and of course, has never played a single NFL snap. Rasheem Green has finished up his fourth season in the NFL, and, and he did show some flashes. You know, a career-high six-and-a-half sacks this season, Corbin. I mean, that's really intriguing. Uh, career-high four passes defensed as well. You know, this is a young man who I think is going to get some interest on the free agent market because of his youth, because of his positional versatility. I, I don't know that I love the word priority because I think that's such a vague statement. 
I, I do think that he is a, an important player for Seattle either to re-sign or replace because I think that he was an important player along Seattle's rotation. At the same time, I'm also intrigued by what the flashes that you've seen from guys like LJ Collier, you've seen from Kerry Hyder, et cetera. You know, Seattle has some guys uh, able to be able to come in and replace uh, you know, Rasheem Green if he is not retained. But I would love to see him. He's a homegrown guy. When Seattle initially dropped him, I described him as a pup. This guy is about to become a dog. And I think that Seattle's biggest area of concern, at least in my opinion, is not the offensive line, it's the defensive line. And I think that Rasheem Green is one of those players who's just scratching the surface of what he could become. Looking at our next question here from Nate Pacific Northwest tweets, do the Seahawks move on from Ken Norton Jr. and other lower tier coaches? I would not be surprised if the Seahawks have a coaching change or two that's coming. I don't think it's going to be Ken Norton Jr. though. And I know some of our listeners, maybe a large portion of our listeners, are not going to like that response. But the numbers are there. I know the Seahawks defense had another rough start. That is the one thing you can hold against Ken Norton Jr., each of the last two seasons, the defense has been awful the first three or four games, but they've been able to turn things around. And the Seahawks were in the top five or six in scoring defense for a large chunk of the season. And that was with players like Jamal Adams getting hurt and rotating players in and out of the lineup, having inconsistent pass rush for most of the season. I thought Ken Norton Jr. did a very nice job. And especially this last game against Arizona, I thought he schemed his butt off against Cliff Kingsbury and did a fantastic job in that football game. And so I think he will be back next season. I could see a few moves being made underneath Ken Norton Jr. with their defensive coaching staff. I could see some of those moves on offense too. When you miss the playoffs, it's rare to see a coaching staff completely maintained without any changes. I do think there will be some. I'm just not anticipating Shane Waldron or Ken Norton Jr. are going to be given pink slips. I expect both of them to be back next season working for Pete Carroll. Kid Andy 24 tweets, could the Seahawks possibly move on from DJ Reed and go all in for Patriots cornerback JC Jackson, who is going to be a free agent, Rob? Well, sure they could, but I'd be stunned if they actually did so. I, I think if Seattle is going to spend significant dollars at the cornerback position this year, it's going to be retaining their own free agents uh, in DJ Reed as well as Sidney Jones. I think that their their play justifies that. JC Jackson's a heck, heck of a football player. Um, and, and fits a lot of the characteristic that the Seattle Seahawks look for at that cornerback position. But at the same time, you look at the track record of defensive backs leaving Bill Belichick and Foxborough and going elsewhere. Very rarely do they have the same type of success. So again, sure, it's a possibility, but I think it's very unlikely at this point. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. I don't think there's anything happening on that front. I don't see the Seahawks splurging at the cornerback spot. That has been maybe the least likely position for them to do that. Real quick, one last question from Sam Brunson tweets. Do you think we've seen enough from Rashad Penny to part ways with Chris Carson? How do their injury histories play into this? So I think that this is kind of a question that's difficult to answer because we don't really know what Chris Carson's health is looking like. Now, Pete Carroll has provided very positive updates on him since he had surgery on his neck it sounds like he's going to make a full recovery and be able to play next season but this is coming from a former running back and a former running running back coach I need to see him on the field before I can make any judgments about whether or not we are going to see number 32 return to form because we're talking about a neck injury at the most physically 
grueling position in the NFL where you're constantly getting battered. I need to see him on the field, see him take some hits before I can make a judgment on that, which makes it difficult to answer this question. I, I don't know that, that Penny has done enough to justify just saying, all right, Chris Carson, we're not even going to look at you anymore. We're done. If you've got a good medical report, I expect that he's going to be back. If things start to go south on that, and then I could see the Seahawks making a difficult decision there and moving on from Chris Carson. But I just think it's way too early. In a perfect scenario, you have both of them back, and you can manage to keep both of them healthy. That's a big if, but that's a really nice one-two punch with contrast, contrasting styles. And then you got guys like DJ Dallas and Travis Homer behind them that are solid role running backs as well. Maybe add a rookie to the mix. And you get have a really nice backfield in 2022. We're going to discuss restrictive free agents and exclusive rights free agents. Kind of our intro yesterday, we looked at unrestricted free agents. Going to take a look at the players that will be restricted and exclusive rights free agents for the Seahawks here in a moment. Seahawks fans, make sure to check out this incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about. It's called Get Upside. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get a bonus $0.25 per gallon on your first fill-up. That's up to $0.50 cash back. Don't pay full price of the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Download the app for free and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get up to $0.50 per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to 300 bucks a month in cash back, and there's absolutely no catch. The cash back gets added straight to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get up to $0.50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. That's the code TOUCHDOWN for $0.50 cents per gallon cash back. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sport wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code Locked On to get started from baseball, basketball, hockey, boxing, and the UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. I've got a certain local baseball team I'm thinking makes sense for a future bet as well. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. You're listening to the Wednesday episode of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen Five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We are now officially in off-season mode. Yesterday, we had a chance to hear from you, the 12s, on your thoughts on which players you would prioritize re-signing as unrestricted free agents. Not going to go quite the same path today looking at restricted and exclusive rights free agents, but these are players that have had their contract expired that aren't eligible to hit the open market and just sign with whoever they want. There are some restrictions. And I guess the good news for the Seahawks, there have been years, Rob, that we've seen them have seven or eight players that are restricted free agents. This year, they have three, four at the most. And the reason I'm saying that is we don't know what Ryan Neal is at this point. We don't know if he's an exclusive rights free agent or a restricted free agent. Spot Track is listing him as unrestricted. He is not unrestricted. There's, there are restrictions on him. We just don't know which of those two labels fit. So 
we're going to kind of hodgepodge him into both discussions because we're not 100% sure what his status is going into this offseason. But nonetheless, just three or four players that are restricted free agents, really not many big names on that list. There's not a lot of big names on that list, but at the same time, they're good football players, Corbett. It's like we talked about in the in the first segment today, just about the fact that, that Pete Carroll does feel very confident that this is a young, hungry team. And so you look at some of these players and you just think about how they could possibly fit in. Uh, you mentioned Ryan Neal. Uh, I would start off with uh, you know Phil Haynes at the guard position. We saw what a people mover that he can be at both the left and right guard positions. As a player, I was very, very high on uh, when Seattle drafted him out of Wake Forest. Kyle Fuller, Kyle Fuller, excuse me, on the other hand, you know, has been pretty up and down in his career. I, I'm curious to see uh, what type of interest other clubs might show in him. I think that he still should be a guy that Seattle should bring back just because of the positional versatility that he has shown. His size, uh, his athletic ability, I'm curious to see if he's able to get a little bit stronger at the point of attack. And then the quarterback, Bless Austin, you only had a few opportunities to play for the Seahawks, but at the same time, I'm intrigued by him as well. So. That's four names, those three, along with Ryan Neal. I think that this restricted free agent class, while small, is also one that's pretty important to the Seahawks moving forward. So we're going to have more time to debate on this as we get deeper into the offseason. But I'm going to say right now, I'm not bringing back Kyle Fuller. I can't go into this next season. I could see Ethan Posick coming back. But that would be one position you can't run it back next year. There needs to be an effort to upgrade to the center position. And, and this is not knocking on the player. It just it hasn't worked out. They were much better when they subbed Ethan Posick back in the starting lineup a year ago. And they didn't have Kyle Fuller in the lineup anymore. When he played at the guard spot, he just can't move people. So that would be the one player of the four listed here that, that I would be stunned if the Seahawks put a tender on him, they could easily re-sign him. That's the thing about restricted free agents. If you don't tender them past the deadline, they become unrestricted free agents. Then Seattle can negotiate with him. I just don't see any reason to necessarily bring him back. He does offer versatility. I think the other three players here, though, Phil Haynes, to me, is probably the one guy on this list. Now, if Ryan Neal is a restricted free agent, again, we don't know if he is or not. We've seen restricted free agent. We've seen unrestricted free agent. I haven't seen exclusive rights anywhere, but he could be any of those last two based on his service time, how many snaps he's played, things of that nature. But uh, Ryan Neal and Phil Haynes would be the two guys that I think you could see the Seahawks place tenders on. And in Phil Haynes' case, probably an original round tender, which means that if another team tries to sign him and the Seahawks don't match, they would get a fourth-round draft pick back as compensation. You don't see that often in the league anymore. Teams don't do that. But I could see the Seahawks putting a tender on it because of the promise he showed the last couple starts to end this season. Ryan Neal's been so good when he's replaced Jamal Adams, and he's a great special teams guy. So I could see them using an original-round tender on him. You wouldn't get a draft pick back because he was undrafted, but still – that gives them at least the chance to match if another team tries to sign him. Bless Austin is another one that you could maybe see the Seahawks do because he does have the size and some of the athletic traits the Seahawks like on the outside. And I thought he played okay when he had his opportunities this year, but between injuries and COVID, didn't get a lot of opportunities after he was claimed on free agency from the New York Jets early in the season. Just didn't play a lot of snaps, but a young corner that has started quite a few games in the league. So I could see any of those three players that I just listed there, getting a tender and at minimum being brought back on new contracts for the Seahawks in 2022. And that leads me to the other players that are free agents and they are exclusive rights free agents. And 
just to explain how this works, these are players that have had their contract expire, but because of the number of seasons that they've had accrued, the number of snaps that they have played, if the Seahawks offer them a new one-year contract, no other teams can negotiate with them. That's where the exclusive rights label comes in. The Seahawks have exclusive negotiating rights to these players, and if they decide not to offer a contract, then these players become unrestricted free agents. And looking at the list, Ryan Neal, as I mentioned, on over the cap is listed as exclusive rights free agent. That's what he was a year ago. So we don't know if he's that or he's a restricted free agent, which would give other teams a chance to at least talk to him if they're interested. But looking at the rest of the list, Rob, there's several names in here that I think are intriguing. Brian Monet, the big defensive tackle, he's done some nice things for the Seahawks in his three years with the franchise. And Al Woods is going to be a free agent. Al Woods is going to turn 35 next month. So I would think Brian Monet would be a player that they would have quite a bit of priority bringing him back. Penny Hart's been a good special teams guy. John Ursua is coming off a torn ACL. Didn't do much before then. Who knows where he fits into the team's plans beyond this point. John Reed, who they traded for from the Texans, got a few snaps late in the year, can play special teams, slot, and outside corner. So there's some value there. Tanner Muse, former safety that's been playing linebacker. Dakota Shepley, who can play guard and center. Gavin Heslip's coming off of a broken leg, but he's a player they really liked that made strides before his injury. I could see him coming back. John Radigan's recovering from ACL, but had an impressive rookie season. And Nigel Warrior, another secondary guy they acquired early in the year that played well on Sunday when he was given a chance on defense against the Arizona Cardinals, has safety and cornerback versatility. I would think the vast majority of these players, you're going to be paying them veteran minimum contracts on a one-year deal. These are not guys that are going to be breaking the bank. I would think the vast majority of them are going to be back on the Seahawks 90-man roster. Yeah, I would think so as well. I mean, these are guys that are already in your program. They, they know the expectations. Uh, you know, of course, a couple of them, as you mentioned, are coming off of significant injuries. I, I think that you were right to highlight the players that you did. Uh, if Ryan Neal is available as exclusive rights guy, then sure. Um, you know, just the fact that he has started as many games showed the versatility that he has, not only at the safety position, but, you know, previously at that big nickel corner as well. Um, then, you, of course, I think that he would be the top priority of these guys with, with Brian Monet, a very close second to that. Penny Hart has shown a lot of flashes as well. So to me, those would be the priorities here. I am intrigued by Tanner Muse, uh, but at the same time, I was also very intrigued by what Josh Jones showed against the Arizona Cardinals this past week. We talked about him a lot as well. The positional versatility of Dakota Shepley is another one that's kind of intriguing. Um, you know, he is, the, of course, the Canadian guy uh, that uh, – you know, that they kind of caught our attention a little bit um, during training camp. So to me, there are some intriguing players here. The point of the matter is, though, is the fact that Seattle can bring these guys back at basically very little financial cost to the club. And again, they have the positional uh, and, and, and just familiarity with the team overall. And that's what you're looking to build upon. There's a lot of people out there, Corbin, as you well know, who just want to start over from scratch. And that's not how you actually win football games. You build upon that experience and that's something that i think that seattle is going to try to do this year and i think that bringing back some of these young inexpensive players is a great way of starting that process basically if you're a player that's an exclusive rights free agent and the team does not offer you a contract that normally does not bode well for you you may get an opportunity with another team i'm not saying that your career is over but 
if a team's not willing to pay that minimum price to keep you around and have you in training camp, you know, maybe if you have a new coaching staff, that's understandable. Different scheme, maybe it's just not a good fit anymore. But most of the time, that is not a good omen for an NFL player if you're an exclusive rights free agent and your team does not want to keep you. Again, I would think most of these players, and we're not talking starters, most of these guys. These are guys that are role players, reserves, practice squad players, but they're good guys to have in training camp to compete for roster spots. So I think a lot of these guys will be back in Seahawks uniforms, the vast majority of them. We'll see as the offseason unfolds which ones the Seahawks decide to tender. A lot of this stuff is going to happen once we get close to the start of the league year in mid-March. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now make Locked On Bets your second listen. It's your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked On Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Check out Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Coming up on our Thursday show tomorrow, going to start handing out some awards. Going to be doing this over the next couple of weeks. Going to be starting with Offensive and Defensive Player of the Year for the Seahawks in 2022. We'll be sharing my thoughts on both those awards. And Quite frankly, kind of difficult ones to pick this year because of the injuries and the fact the team struggled. Looking forward to sharing my picks for those awards and several more in upcoming episodes. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.